Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com, a very unique show that gives you a refreshingly long visit with all kinds of people, entrepreneurs, athletes, small business owners, politicians, and others, all of whom openly talk about the ups and downs of their lives. Carrie's natural curiosity and her own entrepreneurial spirit makes her the perfect host for this program. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Why, thank you, Tom. I liked your new introduction. I got to tell all our listeners, because they're probably, if they've listened before, they're wondering, you know, where's Son Gray? Because he's usually on the radio with me. And he, for everybody, is in Europe. He's a professional opera singer, and he's traveling with the church, and he's singing. So Tom has also been with the show to all you listeners, for a long time. He's the editor, and he's actually a celebrity in Little Rock, Arkansas, <laughs> right up there with Bob Robbins, Tommy Smith, Craig O'Neill. This is pretty heady company, Carrie. I don't know if I can keep up. You can. You absolutely. So he's been editing the show behind the scenes for years, and if you go to our website, you can see a picture of him. But, Tom, tell our listeners where they have heard that voice before, because I know they're wondering, I know that voice. Where have I heard that before? In 1980, we put Magic 105 radio on the air, and that radio station ran for 30 years. I'm telling you, that's longer than most radio stations get to. And uh, just in the past couple of years, we started a brand new network, uh, moved away from the corporate side of broadcasting, and we started our own little thing. And it's called the Arkansas Rocks Radio Network, and we've got 15 stations around the state, and I'm on the air every afternoon, 3 to 7. Entrepreneurship right here in Little Rock in the radio business. Not many people are taking that leap anymore. No, no. A lot of people say radio doesn't have a very bright future, but I disagree. I agree with you and not them. Hey, hey I thought this was about me. Oh, <laughs> we're getting to you, Mitch. It, it will be. <laughs> All right, it's time to start the show for real. My guest today is an intelligent, long-time acquaintance and jack-of-all-trades, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler, who has dropped the Billy to simply be called Mitch. Like his doctor father, Mitch is smart. But unlike his father, Mitch has been unable to settle on one career. In school, he studied many areas of interest. In work, the same. In chronological order. His beginning career and longest was as program director and producer for local and regional TV news stations. Next, director of business and public relations for Arkansas Economic Development Center, AEDC. Before becoming the director of sales for Arkansas Scholarship Lottery, he tried his hand as an entrepreneur by being a founding partner of Martin Wilburn Ad Agency. And his last full-time job was as Arkansas's director of executive communication for the Secretary of Commerce. As is often the case, he left when administration changed. Today, Mitch is writing full-time on his book, Bus Stop to Paris, an autobiography about this hickory nut from the South, as he calls himself, and his happenstance meeting in the Denver airport that would forever change his life and send him traveling the world. As one to never rest on his laurels, Billy Mitch has still keeps his finger on the pulse of advertising and film by working with a few select clients, most notably the FBI Agents Association, who he has partnered with for over a decade. So what do all these careers have in common? Public relations, personality, and media. It is with great pleasure I welcome to the table the lucky, well-traveled, soon-to-be book author, ad man, and funny guy, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler Jr. Mm, thank you. You're named after your dad. Uh, yeah, named after him. I'm a junior. When but, my dad was born, the doctor walked up and asked her, what, what are you going to call your son? And she said, we're going to call him Billy. So he wrote down Billy. Later in the mail, they got the birth certificate and it said Billy M. Chandler. So they continued the mistake on through another generation and named me Billy M. Chandler Jr. Father Tribe didn't like it at all, said, I'm not going to use it. And I said, well, I'll do my best. But <clears throat> So yeah, I'm Mitch. <laughs> I loved your author's description, how you called yourself a hickory nut from the South. Can, yeah. I, can I plagiarize that? I'm sure. using that sometime. Yeah. Uh, some say to be funny, you must be smart. Do you well, think? I don't know about that. What, what's your IQ? Audacious. I, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't think it's been tested in, in the time, but I'm sure I've killed the brain cells that put me above average. So I'm just uh, enjoying myself being unsupervised now. <laughs> 
So unsupervised. Yeah, I don't have to go to work every day. And I, so I'm, you still can do what I want. Uh, in the bio, in the biography part of your book, you are writing a section about the author. Will you read part of it for our listeners? Because I think it says a lot about you. And frankly, it's a good descriptor for a lot of. Southern baby boomers. Oh, really? Okay. I loved reading. Did I write this? Uh huh. You did. Well, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Raised in North Little Rock. Schooled well. Made the world laugh. Talked too much. Loved too little. Ate too much. And learned to consume everything around me at a professional level. I used level twice, didn't I? You're gonna edit your. <laughs> you, you want a pen to edit? Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> You're right. Issues emerge, but none criminal except for that one time. And I will occasionally agree to misdemeanors, but vigorously avoid felonies. That continues. I like and want to help people, but often get screwed with the general strategy. I believe there's evil and good in people, and we need to stop the nasty badness that hurts so many children in the world. I tend to be, to be selfish, but take pleasure in sharing what I have. Dad was, Dad was an eye surgeon. Mom was all the above. Alternately, the best, the fairest, the most generous matriarch, but also able to whip your ass with the thin trouser belts of the 1960s. Teachers thought I was half zebra at Anthony School and pretty much knew from my behavior in class I likely, likely deserved it. Mother cussed at us. A good ass whipping can clear the mind and share boundaries. Shock collars had not been invented yet, but straight jackets were mentioned. Mother had nine kids in her country family, so aunts and uncles and cousins were plenty. Arkansas is a beautiful state full of lakes, rivers, and mountains. We did all of it. We weren't rich, but we had more than most. The hangover from the Depression was always close by. In the words and actions of the entire family, which was large, I knew from where we came. One side dirt farms, the other side poor inner city Little Rock. For most of the 20th century and before, Arkansas has been a poor state with poor education. We weren't Catholic, but we did feel guilty about some things. And as Methodists, we believed a good green bean casserole is all you need to get to heaven. Amen. Amen. That's good. So, my listeners, when the book is ready, you're going to enjoy it. You're clever. Thank you. I really related to this sentence. I tend to selfishness, but take pleasure sharing what I have. Yeah. I think that whole descriptor, too, describes a lot of baby boomers in Arkansas. We all felt the depression that our parents yeah. felt. You know, well, we were raised, I, mean, I was born 17 years after World War II. So, you know, when when you grew up in, in, in my case, television, I'm sure Tom with radio, you you walked in to, to be a part of a system, not to change it. Mm. And when they said, go stand in the corner and wait for orders, you stood in the corner. And your ability to lead was important, but your ability to follow was more important. So... That's what you learn in these things, whether you're TV, radio, cop, first responder. It was good for us because we could make mistakes and nobody got hurt usually. Mm -hmm. So we got to have the action of it and the adrenaline of it. And I used to say coming out of the booth sometimes, it's good that we didn't, we don't fly airplanes because we'd be littered all over the <laughs> runway. So your family liked to travel. Yep. This was a kind of a precursor for your adult life, don't you think? Well, they took us places. And we, yeah. Tell our listeners about the Cabo cruise trip. Uh, <clears throat> we went down to Mexico in December of 1982 and went through a 125-mile-an-hour unnamed hurricane. You can still look it up. Just search unnamed hurricane, December. It's called the unnamed hurricane? Yeah, it was a, it was a bad one. Cabo got smashed. It was before it was huge, and everybody from Little Rock started going down there and buying stuff. And uh, <laughs> there was wood floating everywhere, and we couldn't stop. So, In the book, you said that the the uh, captain told you that you couldn't go ashore because you had to go out and look for Yeah, we, they said look for people. I mean, we had fishermen out there, and that was terrible. Um, was there a reason you went to the University of Colorado at Boulder? Well, there were a bunch of buddies going, and I thought it was cool, and I liked to ski, so. Me and about four or five other guys who shall remain nameless because their stories ended about like I, mine did. Yeah, yours didn't end good. Well, I had a 0, 0.00 grade point average for a year. <laughs> so <laughs> so you didn't stay long. Well, ironically, my parents and the university regents invited me to go home on the same day. I got a call from both of them and said, it's pretty much it. So get a U-Haul. And you followed the Arkansas River all followed the way the home. the Arkansas River home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So now you're going to write a book, and when we yeah, come back, so yeah. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about your book. We'll continue our conversation with Billy Mitch Chandler Jr., world traveler, media aficionado, and author still to come. Bus stop to Paris book discussion with some of Mitch's fun stories, as you've already heard. He's got them. More of his varied work travels. We will get Arkansas lottery winning tips because he worked for the Arkansas lottery. And last, his longtime media work and relationship with the FBI. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. And during the last four decades, the business has grown and changed along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the internet, rebranded the company as simply FlagandBanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger and since then has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine Brave, which, by the way, features a cover story about this radio show and podcast in the current issue. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, which is an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, theflagandbanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the smart jack-of-all-trades, almost a jack-of-something-else, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler. Well, I wouldn't say jack-of-all-trades. I mean, I'm a show breed, not a working breed, so I'm a oh. yard work, stuff like that, you don't physical like. exertion. No, I really prefer the Churchillian aspect of trying to conserve your energy as much as possible. What's Churchillian mean? Well, after Winston Churchill. He always Churchillian. Don't, de- don't do anything standing up that you could do laying in bed. A lot know. of baths, a lot of cigars. A lot of baths, cigars. Yep. And I that do that Churchill. even if nobody's in my apartment, I'll say, I'm coming out in the state of nature. <laughs> Just for anyone who's my happenstance by. <laughs> I'm coming out in a state of, of nature. nature. <laughs> Nature. Okay. I couldn't decide which conversation should come first, but I did decide. Talking about your autobiography and uh, and how a chance visit at the bus stop in Colorado helped shape your life or the very jobs that you've had, but I picked, and I picked the bus stop to Paris. You said the first question in a lifetime of questions about how fate and the randomness of life can spin you off into unknown places, and you said that first question was? What time is it? What time is it? Tell yeah. us about that. So I'm at the Denver airport and going back for my second semester. And so I got there and the, this, this young girl was eating an apple and she came up at the bus stop and said, um, well, what time is it? And I told her, and then she was about to get on the wrong bus. And I told her, no, this is the bus you need to be on. I helped her with her bags and we made friends. And I said, hey, look, I'm coming back for my second semester. We actually ran into each other two weeks later and one of her roommates, and they lived in this big house with, you know, 10 students. And so I went over there and, and, uh, at dinner, well, two Frenchmen came up and said hello, and they were my original two Frenchmen. Fr- Frenchmen, Bertrand Cote and Henri Sudi, and uh, <laughs> they came up and made fast friends, and so I stayed the rest of the semester and did all the things I did and didn't do, and then came home and then decided to go visit. And so, nineteen eighty four, I went over for five weeks with my cousin, and we stayed two weeks in Paris, and that was it. I went back every year for. Long time, probably 20 trips. To see Henri? Well, all of them. Uh, I got to meet more and more every time I'd go. And I went the day after Christmas every year because it was the cheapest. Hmm. Yeah. So I'd go over and, and stay for a week or two. And, and they took me everywhere. So how did, why did that change your life other than just going well, to you Paris? Well, because you just meet everyone and you realize there's different ways of doing things. And the French are, you know, can be obnoxious and fun at the same time. So I particularly like that. Then I started studying language and it's just been a great love affair with a, a city that I treated like Disneyland, really. So you came back from college. Mm-hmm. What did you do first? Well, I worked for my dad's op- op- as an optician for my dad and had a police radio in my car and I was a still photographer. And that's really what I originally wanted to be. And then I, uh, I was in a class at UALR with Mel Hanks was the investigative reporter, Mel Hanks, on the case straight from the heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I made friends with him. And so I, I, he asked me if I wanted to intern. So I went to Channel 4 and interned, but without doing any of the paperwork, I just walked in and said, oh, okay, I'll be an intern, which means I'll work for free. So I never left. And so Bob Steele called me in the news director. I said, what are you, why are you still here? It's been like, you know, eight months or how long have you been working? I said, it's okay. I don't have to, you don't have to pay me. I'll keep doing it. And uh, he said, no, there's an overnight editor's job, lowest position at the Newsroom, he said, apply for it. Okay, so I got it. And, you know, about every year I got promoted. And You know, the guy that is the head of the rice industry in the world is from Stuttgart, Arkansas. Well, it doesn't surprise me. And that he started 
as the janitor. Well, Doug McMillan, head of Walmart, started in the egg case, cleaning out the egg case. How do you instill that sort of work ethic? I don't think you instill it, but I tell you what it does do. It, it and Tom will agree. It, it it forges it, and so you know you look for people that have worked in TV. They have a sense of urgency because as the day goes on, then then the urgency goes to get it on on the air. Right, and you just it's a zero fail mission, and so people that have worked in media, TV, radio, they they tend to get things done quickly. And creative people tend to take the easiest, quickest, fastest path. Yeah. So you say uh, uh, the book's about the hundreds of people that I met from meeting that Mm -hmm. woman at the bus stop. So here are some of the people from the survivor of the killing fields of Cambodia. Yeah, Amrain Ak. She's a wonderful woman. I met her 40 years ago. And she had gotten out. Her parents didn't, but out of Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge took the family. So she had a great career at uh, Van Cleef and Arpels in Cartier. And she's married now and, and she's retired and like we are, are starting to be. And it's just been a great 40-year friendship. The whole time I was there over the years, I shot a VHS camera. and So you've got all this old film on VHS. Yeah. VH- oh, I know. And black and white stuff. Oh, how And I just fun. found, yeah, and I'm not organized as I told you the other Boy, day. you are not, y'all. I'm not just organized. Tell y'all. I found 60, like, rolls of black and white bulk rolled film that I'd shot in Europe in the 80s and 90s. There's no telling what's on there. You know, I was never a technical photographer. You just like to collect the stuff. No, I just get a motor drive and go. <laughs> <laughs> just let her rip. And then see what's on there, you know. <laughs> then load another one. <laughs> <laughs> Your comfort level with talking about these European uh, places. And yeah. uh, it, you can see that you visited Paris all those years in a row. Well, yeah. Your comfort level is just so high. Well, we used to, you know, when my friends would come and occasionally we'd rent a car and, uh, don't try this at home, I guess, because we don't have an arc triumph here, but we got something we can run around. Over by the War Memorial, there's a roundabout. Uh-huh. I don't think you get the same effect, but we used to go to the pub and have fun and then get in the car and run around that arc triumph real fast because it's a, there's no rules. and yeah. You have to believe you're less afraid of dying than they are of killing you. <laughs> and so you just it's like an amusement ride. It's like your Disney World. Yeah, I've always wanted to r- drive it. Just paid attention to everybody to your right. And right in front of you. Don't worry about your left and behind you. Um, how about the uh, famous French war correspondent who traveled across Afghanistan? Yeah, Jerome Bonny. I met him when he was young, and uh, he's a journalist, and he later went on to uh, make a profound friendship with a gentleman named Masoud, who was the head of the Northern Alliance, and a, really a nationalist, but a, a person who was dedicated to the West and trying to make Afghanistan a better place. And so he did a big documentary when the, when the Soviets were there. He came here to Little Rock to cover Clinton's first and had a whole crew. And I got him into the war room across the street over at Mickey Cantor and Alt Carvel. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, I got him in there and they got some good footage. And that was the first footage of the war room. Didi Pennebaker was the, the documentary guy, was the only one supposed to be there. And he had a fit over the, anyway, I'm telling a dumb story. But anyway, no, it's a good that's story. What no. That's what happened. <laughs> But they've been here. And, and so I took them out to Cock of the Walk, this French crew. And I'm sitting there next to the guy. Of course, they love the cornbread flipping and the, yeah. they were having fun. Well, it turns come find out the guy sitting next to me was a guy named Jean uh, Normandin, who was one of the Beirut hostages that was chained to Joseph Sicipio, one of our guys, for a year. Wow. Well, the French, French will pay him. So they paid him a million bucks a piece and they got him out finally. But our guys had to languish there for another few years. But. So I said, hell, what was that like? He oh. said, oh, it sucked. Oh, it's terrible. I said, we changed this guy for a year. I said, well, did you? was there good conversation? He said, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you know way too much about that guy. If you're chained to a guy for a year, yeah. I bet it's just gross. Hadn't happened to me yet, but it's early. <laughs> okay. Uh, your wife is from Ukraine. Well, my is former wife. Your for, oh, okay. which not, it's not a unique category because I have two of those. Oh, yeah, she's from Ukraine. And did you meet her in Paris? Uh, no, I met her in when I was at a birthday party in Gdansk, Poland. I was with a Polish friend and met her, and she was on vacation. How would she say about the war? Anything? Well, she's lost a number of her family. Is she, yeah, is she? and her mother's still there. And 
What city is her mother in? And it's near Lvov, which is on the west, so it's actually a good place to be. She's near the Polish border. So other than the deprivation of resources, they're pretty good. But she's lost, I think, a large number of cousins. <laughs> I can tell, I could have told Putin before he went in, I, they love to fight. So, you know, we spent a lot of our time in Treasury the United States making peace in Europe. And that's from the Marshall Plan to everything else we've done to stabilize it in NATO. Well, it's a problem against stability because they're going back, back and trying to recreate the age of Frederick the Great, Putin is, and now oh. he's, he's land grabbing for resources. And it's yeah. war, and that's what's, you know, we forget. They know what war is because, you know, there are 50 million people died in World War II. That's, that's, uh, that's a thousand war memorial stadiums full of people, and they died every which way that you can possibly die. And in every country. And 18 million of them were Russians. Because they fought the worst, worst of the battles. Mm-hmm. These new generations have forgotten what that's like. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to write the book? Well, I was, I was, I was ill in December, and I, I didn't have a great prognosis. I was a heart problem, and, and all of a sudden they fixed it. They gave me some stents, and it changed everything and got me back on track. But I thought maybe that was, if that was as good as they were going to get me, that was not in a good spot. So I tended to probably retire and take state retirement. And, and just start writing and see what, how much I could get done. But they fixed me, and it just immediately started turning everything better. I started looking at my life as a, as a story. I, I encourage other people to do that. Think, what, what, what's the story of your life? And then as I started thinking about it, it wasn't normal. And I've just been the luckiest guy. It's like, uh, almost like Forrest Gump. I get to be in all these crazy places with all these people, whether it be governors or presidents or the FBI guys, to just big things, you know, to be around it. Your perspective on the world is just so cool. I know that's an unworthy word, but just your understanding of the European theater is so different than ours. If you haven't traveled there for, I mean, I've been to England three times, Paris once, and I just feel like I'm a kindergartner compared to a college student. But it took a long time. I mean, I I went over and stayed for three months right before the first Gulf War started. Back in 1990, I was invited by my friend Jacques Bonin, who had a beautiful uh, apartment on the Rue de Rivoli, really fascinating, right across the street from the Louvre, with a magnificent view. And he invited me to come stay six months, and I ended up staying three. And it got a little bit weird in one of the neighborhoods that I was hanging out in. Some of the Turks and some of the other Arab guys wanted to make sure that they knew who I was. And as as it started, yeah, there was a whole. It was take yourself back to. January 91, so we went into Iraq. So I came home the day before that started. Smart. Just because there was no sense in tempting fate. And they'd made it pretty clear I needed to not go into the establishments that I'd been going in in the neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. Wow. I think that's the lesson of all of it. You can't change the world, but you can sure be a part of it. That's what I'm trying to do now. I'm so glad you're writing a book. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with soon-to-be published book author, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler Jr. He is a storyteller, world traveler, media aficionado, and jack-of-all-trades. Still to come, more of his varied work and travels. We will get tips on how to win the Arkansas lottery because he worked there. We're going to talk about some of his jobs. Don't play. He's the only person that's worked for the Arkansas Lottery that says don't play. But he did give me a tip that works, and I'm going to share it with y'all. And last, his longtime media work and relationship with the FBI. We'll be right back. Good news from the Friends of Dreamland at uh, Taborian Hall, the home of flagandbanner.com. Be on the lookout for some good news in Dreamland's restoration in the weeks to come. And please think seriously about donating to our corporate matching campaign right now. It doubles the power of your donation. If you're one of the many people who've taken a tour of the Dreamland Ballroom recently, you've noticed the stage apron. That floor is looking fantastic. And we've already ordered the custom tin ceiling tiles and the light fixtures. Can't wait to show them off. An easy way to keep up with not only the matching donation campaign, but all the progress being made in the restoration of the Dreamland Ballroom is to go to the website you're already familiar with, flagandbanner.com. Click on Menu and go to Dreamland. Listen to all UIYB past and present interviews by going to flagandbanner.com and clicking on Radio Show. Or subscribe to our podcasts wherever you like to listen by searching Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Also, you may simply like flagandbanner.com's Facebook page to watch our live stream and receive timely notifications of upcoming guests. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the smart 
jack of all trades, almost a jack of something else, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler. So before the break, we talked about Mitch's, um, his, his book he's writing. And I love what Tom said about how he's like a, so knowledgeable. The perspective on, on Europe and uh, the things that you've done over there is what I love to hear you talk about. And the way you rattle off the names as if it were, you know, right down the street to Pine Conway Bluff or and, to Jacksonville, yeah. Pine Bluff. It's, it's just, <laughs> and you know, when you hear somebody tell stories the way you tell stories, you know, you lived it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, they did too. They came here. In fact, my buddy Jacques, uh, Jacques Bunai, he'll say, uh, have you been to Griffithville? Because he knows my family's from Griffithville. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, it says on the sign there, he, he like this, it says on the sign, population 206, Griffithville, on Highway 11. <laughs> I know you But know I, asked, I asked Dad, I said, how come, how come that never changes? He said, every time we come back, it's still 206. He said, because every time a baby's born, a man has to leave town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. That's good. No, it's fun because he'll say, he'll talk about hazing. You know, because they come over and they play and they they love it here. Hayes yeah. in Arkansas. Yeah, I oh, mean, you know, funny. little little podunk towns. And yeah, we are to them as they are to us. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I love the French. I, I, that's my favorite place. All right. Seems like your first and longest career was in television. Talk about those days. We talked about it a little bit, and you talked about how you met, you saw Bill Clinton's mother on an airplane with rice in her hair earlier in the yeah. first, before the first break. So you ended up landing an interview with her. Her mm -hmm. first. Interview. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, oh, and her first, it was a. Her, I it, was it was a, it was exclusive. It was, it was exclusive because it was the day before he announced in October of '91. He went came out here. the The state house was important to him. He took he announced both times to run there, and he took uh, election night results there there uh, each time. So, in fact, Tony Bennett was there singing for him, and he just died. So, I thought about that. So. Um, when did you go from being an intern to being the producer? Overnight editor. Well, then, I, then I became, a year later, I became a producer. And then a year later, I became something else. And then I, I decided I wanted to do another. I, could, I hated working overnight. It was just terrible. So I did that for two and a half years. And I told Steele, I, I need to go. So I went, I went to Paris for, I don't know, at that time when I told you I ran off. And uh, he told me before I left Paris, I said, I'm coming home. He said, well, there's a job in, in Doha for CNN for an editor to edit the war stuff coming in. And I thought, well, that's cool. But then I thought, I don't think I like that idea. So anyway, <laughs> I'd been in love. So I went ahead and claimed love over war and came Is home. with Luba? I, no, it's the first one, Janet. Oh. My love. favorite ex-wife. Your favorite ex-wife. Luba, I'm sorry. No, she's, you're, she's delightful, too. I, let me just say that publicly. Let me just say... <laughs> Let me yeah, just say, you and Luba are a, are a sight for sore eyes when you see y'all coming. Yeah, it looks like the circus is in town, doesn't it? So, uh, how tall is Luba? Uh, I don't know. It's sort of Nicole Kidman to Tom Cruise. That's yeah. kind of what, but that's yeah. the, where the similarities ended. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. She's very tall and thin. And very beautiful. And very beautiful. And has, whenever she takes the trash out in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. all the men go and look out the window. And what a warm soul she has as well. <laughs> and then describe yourself to our listeners. Me? Yeah. Well, I'm six foot two. I have a big old belt buckle that says I kill bears. <laughs> Are you six two? No, I'm not six two. I'm five seven. <laughs> got a gap between my teeth. 300 pounds. Used to be. And that's why I never, never got a really good looking wife. I'm teasing. That's what Lou Holtz used to say. Oh. No, I've been lucky. Yes. Napoleon said a woman laughing is a woman conquered. That is so true. I did not know Napoleon said that. What are you doing later? <laughs> um, let's see. So then you went from, you didn't take that job. You left, you went away. Then you came back and you got a job at AEDC, Arkansas Develop, Arkansas Department well, of Economic Well, yeah, I worked on TV for a while longer and became a executive producer at Channel 11 and, you know, ended up doing that for a long time. And then I went to KETV. And then you came back and got a AEDC, and yeah, AEDC. Uh, I bet you traveled with them. Did they ask well, you to travel? Yeah, went to India, went to Japan, and uh, the man who's really had a great impact on my life, there's about four or five of them other than my dad, is Larry Walther. He's now the secretary of uh, DFNA here, cabinet level for the governor, and he was the one that that really propelled me. All the, the, the my bosses that encouraged me, they were special because then I could do it. I could do what I do, but um, I scared a lot of them. And so sometimes they 
put me in a closet for just a little bit. That's okay. It's, it's, you know, you're gonna, your career's gonna porpoise. Any young people out there, you've got to remake yourself every few years in some fashion. So you, it's this idea that you can do one thing your whole life, but if you have tenacity and you have audacity and you have, if you're honest, that's the other thing too. You got to stay honest because if you're not honest, somebody's going to get you before it's over. They're going to get you when you're honest too. You know, you end up in checkmate, especially in politics. There's a lot of politics in politics and you just, there'll be people shooting at you and you have no idea why, but eventually you find out, but then the, what's the first rule? I don't know. What. Screw them back. Oh, that's what people do. So that's why there's palace intrigue all over state government. I believe when you were probably in the media uh, that you couldn't, there was the division of media. Newspapers couldn't, couldn't, you couldn't, a newspaper couldn't own as many newspapers as it can. Yes, now. there were rules on uh, FCC rules for television. And for newspapers. Right. Yes. It's cookie cutter. It's designed to, to impact uh, opinion. Well, really, we've, we've turned into not monopolies, but agopolies, where there's yeah. just three or four of everything. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I love local television. I spent what, 16 years doing it, but I can't watch it anymore. I, you know, I, people that are with me, they say, quit talking to the TV because I'll start giving commands to go, 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 go. You know, they'll just. What do you mean? Well, go, you, go, go. well, I mean, they're on live shots and it's shoddy and, you know, poor, poor, these, these poor reporters now, they call them 24s. They're, they're, on 24 well, they're 24 hours? they're 24 years old oh they have a contract for 24 months and they pay them twenty four thousand dollars wow and all their parents are subsidizing them is that true yeah it's close well, the news is on 24 you, you have you have old salts that are there you, yeah and look at channel seven i mean those you have some really great broadcasters there yeah chris may and barry brand people i worked with all my career and melinda mayo and you know bob Kloss has been an anchor in this market for longer than anybody no, I didn't know that. A, oh, yeah, I did. I and, guess and, I think about it. You know, that's when you talk talking about uh, Roy Mitchell and Steve Barnes and all those mm -hmm. folks. So there is a threat, a thread and legacy that runs through Little Rock Television, but it's it's not near what it used to be. And logistically, it was much more difficult. You know, we we were compelled to be accurate. We broke stories. Yeah. That that won awards. And are there investigative reporters anymore? Well, if if they do, they they have to not run a file of advertisers. Arkansas Lottery. That's the one that yeah. everybody's wanting to talk about. Oh, man, about lottery. Yeah, it. you can win. You got to play to win. How'd you end up? How'd well, you end Larry up? Larry Walter Arkansas? called me and said, I need you to help me uh, over at the lottery. You're going in as sales director, and I need you to do this, this, and this. And okay, was met happily with Bishop Woosley, the director, and we set about trying to learn it. I mean, I couldn't spell lottery when I got there, but <laughs> I did know something about taking a number of people and, and, uh, and moving them in a certain direction, I guess that's all what a newsroom is. Uh, so I learned lottery for about six months. They brought in a teacher for me, a, an old school, used to be a director in uh, in uh, lottery in, in California and Oregon, Tony Monica, who became a quick, fast friend and taught me lottery. And six months afterwards, I invited the staff to allow me to lead them. And there were 24 people. And, and we did it. We set a sales record a couple of years later. Taught me lottery. Well, you mean? got two kinds. You got the scratch and you got the draw games. And oh. the big draw games are the odds of you winning a Powerball, like the billion dollars, uh, would be uh, it's 194 million to one, roughly. <laughs> so it's like taking everybody's phone number, putting them in a barrel, and they're sticking yours out there. So somebody's going to win, perhaps. But you know, even on these big ones, they don't tell you how many numbers are covered generally, but the gaming directors know. And we don't. They don't publicize it, but for that big wet first one, 2016, it was a, the first billion dollar mm -hmm. one. There were still 16% of the numbers not bought. So there was a 16% chance it was going to roll again. And we didn't want it to roll. You know, you don't want these huge jackpots. You'd rather have a bunch of them at 300, 400, and you can advertise for that. Mm -hmm. But there were three things that made us set sales records. Uh, we got the sales part of it right. And uh, Bishop and his uh, gaming director, Mike Smith, got the tickets right. Mike's a genius when it comes to the design of the tickets, and his his next guy, Bob Coleman, they're just they're worth their weight in gold. Uh, and the tickets are inviting and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then the advertising, CGRW did the advertising, and it was extremely effective. 
And it's all about winners and people who want to win and people who want to hear about other winners. And oh, by the way, it's for a good cause. So they got that formula right. So it all hit. Waymac and those bunch, Waymac and crew did the creative for it, along with Wade McEwen. And it was just magnificent. And I think it's still great advertising. Great advertising. Well, yeah, I think that's, you know, you have to be careful how you advertise lottery to the people because, well, it's gambling, but also too, you, you know, you don't want to hype them up to, you know, say anything to get them to buy. Um, you know, Bill your, Clinton was not like, in like, favor of lottery. Arkansas well, it's, lottery. it's people see it as a regressive tax. I mean, I'm in the stores. I was sales director that actually went to the stores. So, uh, you know, I, I've been seven or eight hundred of the nineteen hundred. You ever buy lottery tickets? Yeah, occasionally, like like every dummy, <laughs> I tease. But yeah. it's a game. You know, you don't play more than you want. You, know, it's, you, you your chances are you're going to break even or okay, but you might win. So you get five hundred dollar tickets. These people that 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 spend a lot and expect that that's a strategy for wealth, then it's trouble. I, I would suggest people like to play draw games, pick your six numbers, buy them out for six, well, I think three months we can do it here, and then watch your number every week. That's fun. You're playing your number every week, and that's, that's the original numbers game that the mob handled. So really the, the governments took away the mob's numbers racket, right? So play three, play four. If you want to win, play a little bit. Play, play. Which one plays better? Cash three, cash four. You're going to win some because it's only four numbers or three numbers. And it may not pay much, but it might, you know, my numbers came in. And you get to play again. Well, you get if to play you win a little bit, you get to play over and over and over, which kind of makes it fun. So That's right. So do the numbers game. Do three or four. Don't plunge. Don't spend way too much. If, you, if there's a billion dollars, okay, spend 20. But always, always get the power play or the mega number. What's it called? How quickly you forget? Multiplier. Multiplier, yeah. because if if you get five, then that's a million dollars. And if you get the multiplier, then it turns into two, three, or four million or whatever it is. So, so like yesterday, I went and bought, in, in your honor, I went and bought uh, Arkansas Lottery, and I spent $10. It's confusing. And well, some of these people say, oh, I don't have an education. I can't get a job. And you're like, well, hell, they can figure out lottery and how to bet better than right. I can. And that's I right. own a company for 40 years. And I'm like. I've been in line before to get see guys buy scratch-off tickets, and they're so tuned in to whether or not it's a winning ticket. They don't bother to scratch it off. They don't care about the drama of whether they matched it up. All they do is scratch the uh, very bottom the of it. very bottom of it and then see if it won. Yeah. If not, throw it aside. Do another one. I know. What is that? Fast. Well, those are the scratch-off tickets. They're designed to be a fun game. Oh, but you don't have to scratch the top off? No. no. All you got to do is just Aww. scan that barcode. Just scan the barcode at the bottom, and it'll tell you. Well, I'm going to do that because they make a mess. They do make a mess. And when you put them in the car with your grandkids and you let them do it, it's just like a mess. Well, really when is. they brought medical marijuana, my idea was to make a ticket called Hash Cash. <laughs> where you could scratch it and then you could smoke the spoop <laughs> that comes off of it. They didn't that's like that idea. That's a million dollar idea right well, that's there. That's what I'm thinking, yeah, huh? That is, that is great. Yeah. Okay, you told me this in the alley one day when you first got that job. I said, what do I do? I like this. I like to go in there and do the scratch-offs. You say, buy the $10 ones. Yeah. And always buy three. Well, I always buy three, but, you know, the the pack players are the ones that have the best chance because that – What's a, pack player? A pack player. There's 30 – $10 tickets in a pack. Oh. And inside that is called a GLEP, a guaranteed low-end prize. There you go. It's a number that's not secret, but it usually runs about 120, 140. Yep. That's these are all numbers I yeah. of that in that whole pack. So really, you're not betting 300. You're betting roughly 160 that one of those is going to be a big winner in there. And, and sometimes, you know, you never know where they are because they're clustered in some and not in others. But there's some guaranteed low-end prize in that pack. Now, 20s are now... $600 a pack because we, we, uh, we doubled those up, but the pack players are the ones. Which that, one are the pack players? The people that go around and buy packs. Oh, I see. So what they'll do is they'll come down this and they'll watch on the computer. They'll see where are the prizes. Okay. Are the prizes still in this one game? And maybe they're starting to run out of the game. It's, it's old and, but yet there's a million dollar ticket still in it. Gotcha. So then they talk to their lottery reps or whatever because it's not a secret where the games are. They'll say where, where are these games at? And we tell the we tell uh, the, the retailers know if they have that game or not, and they uh. try to they try to order more of them. And then when they can't order more, they try to get their reps to get them more. And it's just a it's a game. Of some owners and chains are more aggressive with lottery than others. Oh, and so can I you bet go, my little guy's not very aggressive. I need to go change my 
7-Eleven well, store. You just never know where they're going to come. We had a guy that bought a ticket in a, uh, a TVM, which is a ticket vending machine. They're in Walmarts. And at the time, we only had 115 of them and only, uh, you know, very low amount of the tickets are sold out of them percentage-wise for the rest of the state. But he he bought one ticket in the Conway uh, grocery store, neighborhood market, and he's $20 ticket, and he scratched it, and he, he said, I don't know. He said, so he tossed it in his truck, and his brother's in there. And, and so the next morning, they get up to go uh, to work, and he said, did, did, I, did I win anything on that? I can't tell. He said, well, you didn't scratch it all off. So he scratched it to the bottom part a little bit more. And he said, I don't know. It says M-I-L. Is that a, what is that? Is that a, he said, well, let's go by there. So they were close to downtown. They drove, pulled by the state, uh, the, the office, and they looked at it. That's a million-dollar winner. Oh. And after tax, it's six hundred eighty thousand dollars, roughly. I'll so we it. handed him a check for six hundred eighty thousand dollars, and his brothers like, of course they're in shock when you. Yeah. They can't believe, and it, you'll see them. They'll sit there for a minute because it takes about thirty minutes to do all the paperwork and check the check everything, make sure it's correct, and and uh, they'll and you see it hit them every once in a while. God, his brother was like, man, you don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't tell anybody. Right. Okay, you understand that, right? We're not, we're not going home. We're not telling anybody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. And the ne- he was taking his family to to, to uh, Florida the next day down to to. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I said, you know, anybody. I said, you know, you you're going to get a check for six hundred eighty thousand. I said, your bank's probably closed by now. He said, no, I got our best. They're open at seven. I said, <laughs> they'd take you ten thousand dollars out. When you get back, you'll still have six hundred seventy thousand dollars. I said, go get them a big old charter boat and go fish. And he said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That is the way to So you it. see these people and it's, it's magical to them. And the people that run two or three million. And then of course the big ones sometimes. Mm. So yeah, it's good, but there's a lot of people that sink a lot of money into it. And sure. I understand it as a game, but if, if you think you're going to get rich off of it, just, just don't do it. Yeah. I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah. Where can, where can <laughs> you buy the packs? Can you get those from a regular you, retailer? Yeah, ask a retailer. Do you have a pack of those? Okay. How much does a pack cost? Well, three hundred for all the games except the twenties, then it's six hundred. So, but look, there's a lot of great people that work at the lottery. They work under hard conditions because they have they keep them at very low um, uh, employees base because that's what people want. They want it stripped down as much as they can to increase the numbers going to colleges. Why'd you leave? I was asked to go to to uh, Secretary of Commerce. It was time. I'm sixty one and. Uh, this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with soon-to-be published book author, Mr. Billy Mitch Chandler, Jr. He's a storyteller, as you've heard, world traveler and media aficionado. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk about his longtime media work and relationship with the FBI. Once you've made the decision to display a flag, you've automatically become part of the FlagandBanner.com family. Congratulations on that decision. But did you know how many accessories there are that allow you to do whatever you want to with your flagpole? You can build, you can repair, you can even light your flagpole. With our selection of flagpole hardware, pole lights, accessories, and display cases, they offer everything you need, and right now you can save 10% off in stock, site-wide, with the coupon code PT10. Just go to the flagpole section of flagandbatter.com and see things like revolving truck adapters, Admiral floor stands, acorn end caps, two-way brackets, even trade show accessories and street pole brackets. Solar lighting is available too. Everybody who shops for flag materials goes to flagandbanner.com. And remember that 10% off coupon code right now, PT10, flagandbanner.com. You're mm-hmm. listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with my friend and neighbor, Mitch Chandler. All right. If you're just tuning into the show, you need to go back. Mitch is a storyteller. He's fun. I mean, they are some good stories. I don't even want to try to recap them because most of the words are in French and I can't repeat and I can't say them. But you just got back from working on a shoot for the FBI or a documentary. What were you working on in, where were you? Arizona. Arizona. What were you, what? I, you well, just the, got back yesterday, I think. Yep, yep. The, what are F- you doing? FBI Aids Association. The documentary is something we're shooting in Paris in the, it's going to be a, a, a companion to the book. So I'll put all my guys on, uh, do interviews with all my friends and, and do some other cathartic things. Uh, my mother, uh, when COVID hit, I had a decision to make. Well, that going to be locked up in the house behind your house 
<laughs> or was I going to go take care of my mother who was in trouble with cancer? Mm. So I went and took care of mother with my dad, his last patient. And we, I was there all during COVID in the house I grew up in. So the, the greatest therapy was being there during a really tough time for the world and for myself. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel good. And she was sick. And so a lot of things can happen when you move back to the place where you, you grew up. I mean, I'd be laying there in bed and I would hear the kids next door go out to play and I would think for a second, oh, it's, I can go play. Let's go play. And then you realize you're 60, not six. So a lot of, a lot of things like that would happen. But um, so we'll go in October, me and a, a new creative muse I have, a friend of mine, uh, a woman named Rochelle Freitag, and we're going to uh, explore what all this thing is that we I've done there for all these years and try to put some meaning to it. Uh, there was a spot in a hotel. You know, I was on a leash with dad and mother. I, they they let me travel, but because they supported most of it, I was, one day I called and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to be flying to Bucharest. This was in 80, 89, 90. And they were having a, a revolution. And my buddy Jacques' wife was Romanian, so... I wanted to go shoot pictures, and maybe that would – I was 29. I thought, well, if I'm going to make a move as a photojournalist, this is time to do it, and I have a place to do it, and support network in Bucharest. So I said, by the way, I'm flying. He said, no, you're not. I said, why not? He said, you're not going to Bucharest. I said, well, how come? He said, because I said you're not going. He said, there's a revolution going. I said, I know. That's why I'm going. He said, you're not going. It's like, you know, a doctor's kid with – you're not riding a motorcycle, but this yeah. time I'm – so what did I have, 29? So I, I went down and said, my daddy won't let me go to the revolution. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, but I'm going to go buy $200 worth of scotch. At the, and he said, fine, okay. Anyway, I acted like a punk and a little kid. And, you know, finally maybe I grew up. And I always thought that was a pivotal moment where I, I chose family and home and over, screw it, let's go. But it, and then as I... As I thought about it, I realized that's that's when I should have gone. Oh. Anyway, I don't know if that's a good story or not, but it was a pivotal moment in my life. So we're going back to do some of that, and we're going to shoot for two weeks back in the apartment where I stayed all that time, and he gave it to us for two weeks. So it, that's a big deal. You know, a lot of people resent going home and taking care of their parents when they're sick. What's well, the best thing that ever happened? There's you know, I was fo- I photographed some of it as, as poignant as I could for later for generations to see how fi- hard she fought. She was a multi-myeloma patient at UAMS. They got her 10 extra years. Oh. So she fought it to the end. And and she died during COVID? Uh, just at the end of it. So it's about a year and a half ago. Your father's about. still alive, though, right? Yep. He's doing great. He still studies, and he has joy in his life. He's sad, but he's okay. He misses her. Yeah. So talk about the FBI. FBI. So I made friends with a guy named Paul Nathanson out of a Bracewell firm, and uh, I'd gone to India for Larry Walther, and met the Wellspun people and helped with that project and ended up at CGRW and I did their grand opening. And so one of the guys, the steel guys came down from Bracewell firm and uh, made friends with him. And a few years later, I was in DC at the state department doing something else. And I said, let's go eat lunch. And he said, Hey, I need to get you a project. And I said, yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. Called a couple of weeks later said, how about the FBI agents association? It's not the FBI. It's their association of 14,000 roughly. Special agents and it has its advocacy for for the agents. It's they have two charities. One's a memorial college fund uh, that pays for the uh, for the college of agents that perish, whether it's in a bank robbery or mowing oh, their lawn. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the benefits to them. They work long, long hard hours and it's dangerous. And so they know now their kids, seventy five percent of their college, no matter where they get into, can can do it. It can go to college. And then there's a, a assistance fund for agents that have tragedy in their life or a sick child or a house burns down or a flood, people that need extra help. And so we raised funds for that, and uh, that's primarily what I do. So I do their video work. I tell their stories of their agents that have trouble, That the, and every one of them are tearjerkers, and it's thoughtful. And you, you can go to FBIAA on YouTube and just search that and number of stories will come up and they give me time to tell them they're 15 minute stories. Sometimes, sometimes they're eight and it just propels people to give. And in fact, if anybody wants to support that, just go to FBIAA.org 
and it's pretty simple to donate. But that money goes uh, to uh, help agents that have tragedy, whether they're selves or their children. These are all active duty agents that are part of the trustee program. So it's been a great partnership and during some tough years for me physically and and in work, because, you know, like I said, you porpoise, that's been the one sort of North Star in my career. And they and, and it's just great to play at that level. They let, they let me uh, I produce their dinner. So we've gone from raising one hundred thousand dollars the first year to one point one million this last year. It's a ten thousand dollar a table fundraiser at the in Washington. Now we're up to, I don't know, 70 tables, I guess. And uh, tell who the gift was that gave away the a local celebrity got to go up there and oh, give yeah. away. Yeah. Well, it was Pat Matthews, your old friend, my yeah. old friend. Old artist, Math- artist Pat Matthews, Matthews family. I'm looking at some of his work here on your walls. Oh, no. He's fabulous. We, he painted this beautiful American flag. You know, he's famous for flags. Yes. As you are, I guess. <laughs> That's I, true. You, that's right. Do you, do you have one of his flags? Yes, I, I do. I bet you do. Yeah, I think it's in Grady's office. you didn't office. have to buy it, but anyway. I have enjoyed interviewing you so much, oh, so you. I have you a gift. What is it? Is there anything you want to say before that I didn't talk about, or did we get it all? I don't know. Am I, am I able to get canceled? <laughs> no. I want to. Uh, this is your desk set. It's an Arkansas flag, a U.S. flag, and what's this one? That's Colorado. That's for the one semester you spent in two, Colorado. Two? <laughs> two semesters. We need to cut it in half because that way it's yeah, indicative of my of your career? ending. But oh, you, you, you gave the what? same one to Tommy Fultz. I listened to Tommy Fultz. He didn't Fultz have Colorado, did he? Yeah, he got Colorado. Oh, you know what I should have done uh-huh. with yours, though? I should have given you a French flag. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we are shooting this in my office mm-hmm. at Arkansas Flag and Banner. We're going to go down and switch out Colorado for France because it's more important to you. Well, I'm I'm validated and I'm happy. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Is it over? Uh, no. Our thanks to Mitch Chandler for being a guest on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy today. And we look forward to the release of his upcoming book, the title, Bus Stop to Paris. We'll be the first in line to read it. In closing, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, just go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. And browse through the hundreds of available past programs, too. They make for great weekend listening. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, just email us. Send us your information to gray. G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.